Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to the preview show on Football Ramble Daily, sponsored by Betway. My name is Marcus Speller. My name is Jim Campbell. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm rooting to in Pete Donaldson. Well, hello, everybody. What a show we've got for you today. It's Friday, yeah. Da, 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 da. <laughs> Hope you're all doing fantastically well. Um, gentlemen, the last couple of days, I've been consumed with this, uh, with this, with this <laughs> thing that people have been um, trying to, to create for themselves. Your best 11 that played that you've seen play on the telly or, or in your sort of generation or generations of football mm. where you can't choose the same player uh, for you can't choose a player from the same country or have played for the same club even if they played for the same club in different eras it's been driving me mad damn it all but i think i've got my <laughs> team and i think i'll probably release it on those social medias uh, later on in the day to keep everybody on tenter. thank you peter Ooh. have you had a chance I like that you're starting the show with basically you telling us all about what you're going to be doing on social media later today. Very, very enjoyable. I started, <laughs> but to be honest, Marcus, it was like the formulas and figures and graphs started appearing in my head. Uh, yeah. I needed to sit down. It's impossible, Marcus. I yeah, don't know how I, you managed to do it, mate. I would say, Peter, they've all played for Newcastle United. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, dearie me. Um, gentlemen, uh, Luke and Jim, I hope you're doing very well too. Luke, you keeping all right? Yeah, well, I'm very well, thank you, mate. And uh, I have so far resisted that said social media challenge, which I believe would, might have been started by Jamie Carragher. Um, but mm. I um, might, in fact, indulge myself uh, tomorrow and release mm. it as well. I, mm. I, I completely misunderstood it at first because um, Charlie, our social media and, and general production guy, said... Um, Oh, can you help me with this? Can you pick a um, a forward? And straight away, I was like, "Well, Goran Pandev. He's played for Macedonia. There's no other players." <laughs> and, there's, and then Marcus, you were like, "Well, no, yeah, but he played for Inter, and so is every other player ever." So <laughs> yeah. it's, it's, it's actually quite, it's a lot harder than it looks at first glance, particularly if you're not that quick on the uptake like me. But I'll mm. give it a go this weekend. Yeah, exactly. For a moment, I thought I'd missed a memo there and that we were starting the show yeah. with our teams. And I was like, whoa, well, I'm going to have to pull out some pretty <laughs> good improv skills right now. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I, um, 
Yeah, it, it, it's remarkable how many top players played for Inter and obviously Barcelona. You can't have Cristiano Ronaldo in there. It's just not possible because he's played for Manchester United, Juventus, um, Real Madrid, of course. You can't do it. If you put him in yeah. there, it wipes out so many players. So Ronaldo is out, but Messi's in there. Get Messi in there. <laughs> now, gentlemen, first things first, and I'm... <laughs> I'm going to come back to you on this one, Pete Donaldson. Are we actually hmm. about to see Mike Ashley sell Newcastle United? Yeah. I mean, it's, it's very Newcastle that Mike Ashley looks like he's cashed his chips in at a time where people can't go out and get riotously drunk. They can, just on their own. Yeah, they can can, but they can can on their own only. But uh, yes. yeah, it seems to be happening. And it, mm-hmm. it's weird and scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, for those who haven't seen this, and what on earth are you doing? Because there, it is some sort of football news. There's a consortium um, which is mainly made up of the Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia. Of course, mm. Amanda Staveley, we've heard her name a few times before. And uh, a couple of chaps, the, the Rubin brothers, um, who are UK-based, I think one of them's involved in Queen's Park Rangers. So they're now undergoing the mandatory <clears throat> Premier League background checks. And there doesn't seem to be any concerns over Saudi Arabia's human rights record in this proposed sort of roughly £300 million deal. So we're waiting for the Premier League to ratify the deal. Luke, do you have concerns over the people that could ultimately control Newcastle United? Are you one of those ones who just thinks, oh, all money's dirty these days? Um, it's a good question. Uh, I, I think that it is interesting that um, people have been desperate for Mike Ashley to leave Newcastle United for as long as we can all remember. Uh, it looks like, yeah, it looks like the, the, the people they're going to be replacing him are objectively Probably worse, but but and, and but that but that's not to, that's not to say that um, that there isn't Saudi money awash all over the UK yeah. economy, as far as I understand it. Not an mm-hmm. economist, not an expert in this area of the world, but as far as I understand, it, that is the case. Um, and so one of the arguments has been, well, why are you drawing the line um, with Newcastle United now? And that's chiefly been said by a lot of Newcastle United fans. And I think the answer in the rebuttal to that is, well, just because there's loads of bad stuff around doesn't mean we want more bad stuff, <laughs> if, if you can boil it down to that to that level. Um, but there's a really interesting aspect of the deal um, where Ashley's clearly looking to move the club on because it feels like an opportunity opportunity time to do so. And he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a businessman at heart, I suppose. There was a... There was a um, fascinating article in The Athletic this week, which I share with you guys. It's quite long, so I'm not sure if you had a chance to read it yet, but do do that if you haven't. It's, it's really interesting about how Mike Ashley likes to operate, how there's a feeling that part of the reason he's been so badly received and he's done is perceived to have done such a poor job is because he hasn't been dedicating the time that is needed to, to, to make the club a success. Perceived. Um, yeah, well, you know what I mean. I mean, you understand what I mean. Some people will defend him, won't they? I'm not one of those people, but some people will. So it's an interesting situation. I, I, I wouldn't like to see further Saudi money come into football, and and I wouldn't like to see Newcastle used as a venue for sort of sports washing, uh, ill-gotten gains, if you consider consider them to be ill-gotten. Um, but I mean, there's not really an awful lot any of us can do about that. Um, it's almost certainly if, if if they agree to do the deal, it's almost certainly going to be ratified and go through. So um, I imagine it will happen. Um, Pete, I suppose you, you've probably got some some fairly um, <laughs> ro- robust opinions on this, but out of interest, just to you as a Newcastle fan, 
you go from an owner, Mike Ashley, who people don't like for, for perfectly understandable reasons, and you move to someone or a group of people who are probably objectively worse. I mean, how does that make you feel as a fan? Yeah, I mean, I think I said this when the Saudi connection was uh, revealed probably this time last year. Will having this owner, and it is, was an 80% stake, something like that, <clears throat> will it affect my relationship with Newcastle United? Yeah, undoubtedly. Am I disappointed that a lot of uh, Newcastle fans don't seem to give a shit? Yes, massively, undoubtedly. But uh, you sort of think, well, they're all, <laughs> it, it kind of brings me back to my point that I made uh, either on Monday or, or, or last Thursday. Like, should the fit and proper person test have uh, a clause well. for owning a bone saw and chopping up journalists and uh, uh, bombing markets in Yemen. I, I think that should probably be in there as part of it. But if, you know, we're about to hit an era-defining recession. So if you think there isn't going to be money flooding in from from, from, from the Gulf, from the, the Uyghur imprisoning Chinese uh, uh, Communist Party, I think you're a little bit naive. The Premier League have to show some leadership here. They're not going to. They've got the data from uh, Amnesty International. They're not going to get involved. The UAE involved in the bombing the the, the twin bombing uh with the with mm-hmm. the saudis of yemen uh you know the rape and the pillaging and the murder and the bombing uh, uh, of that particular part of, of the world and football is already dripping in emirates sponsorship so the horse bolted a long long time ago mm. the premier league were happy to let it bolt so am i clutching my pearls right now that newcastle united will be under saudi ownership no i'm not will it affect my uh, uh relationship with, with newcastle united yes it will will we, will it make me fall out of love with newcastle united possibly I, I just don't know. But at the yeah. moment, I don't understand. It seems like the same journalists who are criticizing Newcastle United fans for wanting too much out of Mike Ashley are the same ones that are suddenly flipping on a coin and uh, criticizing them for uh, preparing their, uh, their, their, their headdress for the next time Newcastle and play at the, play at the fucking um, St. Yeah. Joseph's Park. It's, 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 a, it's a murky, horrible situation. Jim, what have you got to do to fail the fit and proper persons test in the Premier League? Well, this is uh, this is kind of what I was about to go on to because I think Pete raises a really interesting point in there that you know if if the Premier League aren't going to stand up to to these sort of owners, then you know why is it suddenly on the fans? You know, there's mm. a, lot, a lot of talk of like, well, well, you know, City fans get criticised quite a lot, obviously for uh, for you know the, the owners of their club, and, and you you see it a lot, and it's happening with um, with Newcastle now. It doesn't seem to happen so much with Sheffield United. Um, we know that the Saudis own the Blades, <laughs> um, and I just I, I just think Pete's right on that. You know, if it's up to the Premier League to stand up to that sort of thing. If they're going to have a fit and proper person's test, if they're going to ha- claim to care about that sort of thing, it shouldn't just be that these owners aren't incompetent businessmen. It should be that they don't come with this sort of huge, disgusting, like whatever way you slice it, immoral baggage. And it's already here, isn't it? We, we can't really we can't really have a problem with it more than we already have a problem with it because it's already happening. And that is sad, but it's, it's just unfortunately how it is. I would like that to change. I don't know how, what we do about it from sat here uh, in our makeshift podcast studios or what any fan can do to affect it, but it is a really unfortunate side of, of I suppose of, of late stage capitalism. It's just a symptom of that. Of football is obviously probably the most inflated um, form of entertainment that is, affected by that can i just can i just jump in very very quickly just say that um one thing that is important to point out and jim's really really um spot on to raise the idea of of sheffield united something that uh, i didn't i didn't consider i completely forgot about that <clears throat> excuse me but but one thing i think is really important is a really important distinction to draw is that 
and I, I might incur the wrath of, of Newcastle United fans by saying this, and Pete Donaldson will be front and centre of that um, if, I, if I do, is that, let's get it absolutely right, Newcastle United fans are not protesting or complaining, largely speaking, about Mike Ashley because he employs uh, Sports Direct employees on zero-hours contracts and behaves mm-hmm. in, a business, in, in business the way he behaves. They're complaining about Mike Ashley because he's not investing in the team and because he's not hiring the manager they want, and because they're not achieving what they think they can achieve for the size of club they are. And the reason that's a really important point to make is because football fans um, will almost almost inv- invariably put their club front and centre to everything. So the way that the Saudi Public Investment Fund of Saudi Arabia it, and the Rubin Brothers or whatever if indeed they take over Newcastle United, can just get easy PR wins over Newcastle United fans, the same way Manchester City's owners got it with PR wins over Manchester City fans, is by by doing things like linking themselves to Max Allegri as a new manager or mm-hmm. buying mm-hmm. a big signing or, or going out and, and buying four or five players or investing money that hasn't been invested in the training ground or the facilities at Newcastle United for years and years and years. That's the way you win football fans over. And if we're going to talk about public consciousness of, of, of immorality when it comes to investment in football, football fans, not just in Newcastle, but the world over really, particularly the country over here, have shown time and time again that unfortunately, when it comes to um, having a bit of awareness around where the money comes from, they simply do not care. They do not care as long as their football club is being funded and as long as the success for them on the pitch. That's all they care about. So mm-hmm. I don't expect there to be any long-term protest against this ownership at all as soon as um, as soon as the, the, the business is done on the pitch because that's how football works and that's what football yeah. fans are like. And it's sad to see, but that's how it is. But also, Luke, you've got to say that they also have no say in who Mike Ashley uh, sells it to. They have no say mm. in how yeah, their football, football club is run. So it only becomes, you know, there's a reason why Roman Abramovich, does he have a UK visa anymore? You know, once uh, the government start getting a bit spicy with the Russians and start, start you know, questioning where everyone's money starts coming from, it, it only it, it, things only start to move. Because there, you know, there's a crackdown on a particular um, sector, and that's just to rub, you know, rub somebody up the wrong way. It's not an actual. They don't really care where the fucking money's coming from. It, it you know, it, you remember a couple of years ago when when um, uh, MBS was in London and he was uh, and he paid for all those mad posters on the side of trucks, and they were being driven around uh, the, the town. Because obviously there was a bit of a, a furore about him visiting Theresa May and the Queen, and they were bringing out the red carpet for him and stuff. Uh, Mohammed mm. bin Salman and and. and Near my house, there was just a lot of these weird trucks where there was just a picture of him and it said, he's modernising Saudi Arabia. I'm going, well, this has very li- limited uh, you know, impact on my life. But turns yeah. out, two years later, <laughs> big impact on my life. Yeah. <laughs> I think what is so frustrating about this, this sort of thing is that Football is a pretty unique thing in the in the way supporters engage with it because it's it is a tribal thing, isn't it? You're not just going to change the club you support. You're not just going to stop watching the game, are you? These people know that, and and they're piggybacking on, on top of that, and it's it's so frustrating because we we see it. You know, it might be a, you know, it, by the sounds of it, it's already starting to happen with some Newcastle fans. We've seen it with some City fans as well, where you know they just they just feel their owners are beyond reproach because of the things they do in the community, and and as Luke points out, the money they've spent and the effective PR job that they do on making it look like they're not like the other guys, and the whole well, actually, they do a lot for the area, blah 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 blah, sort of thing, and it is all sports washing, and it's frustrating. It is, and, and and you're right to make the point, Luke, as you made about football fans ultimately just care about football. And I understand that because you know, part of me sort of 
almost like wants to move the conversation and go, oh, but, uh, about, what about those odds that uh, Max Allegri, you know, taken over at Newcastle have been slashed? That's exactly the point. I sort of suddenly want to go, anyway, enough of that. Let's talk about what might, may happen on the pitch. And that's what will happen. Mm. That's how it works. Well, we, we, uh, Marcus, we have we have a we make a football show here, so although we can we can talk about the big stories in football and mm. and and um, and maybe address some of the points that we feel passionate about, ultimately we're to talk about football. That's hard sure. at the moment because there is no football. But I don't think we have to defend ourselves by saying, "Look, let's go and talk about football now." That's 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 really what we're here to do. I think as long as the points are made and, and we talk mm. about how we feel about it, I think that's perfectly acceptable. But I know what you mean. It feels a bit trivial after the conversations we've had. Um, but just to Jim's point, very, very briefly before we move on, um, that um, I don't know if I fully agree with the idea that people aren't going to stop supporting their club or, or people aren't going to stop watching football. I know plenty of people of my age and perhaps slightly a bit older who have fallen out of love with football for lots of different reasons. This would be one of them, this mm. kind of idea of of the increased amount of wealth in football, I think certainly would be one of them. But I, I absolutely can see that nowhere near in enough numbers to markedly affect the game yeah. is going to um, is going to is going to is going to happen. But the point being, of course, that's the very essence of this, isn't it? The very essence of this is they know people who, who prospectively invest in football clubs at the top level here know that the, the strong, dedicated fan base, um, which is, I mean, it's essentially a uh, an a love that that's never going to dwindle really in big numbers, despite what I've just said. Um, it's unconditional love is a massive course of attraction for them. So that's part of the reason it happens in the first place. So it is disappointing, but I mean, this is the, this is the environment that we work in now. And we have to just be realistic about that because there's not really an awful lot we can do at this level to change it. And look, if, if, if anyone can mess up a multi, multi, multi-billion dollar uh, football investment, uh, it could be Newcastle United. So, Absolutely. <laughs> so yeah. it might all go to shit. They might yeah. leave after a couple of years and going, sorry, the books are mad. We're going, we're off. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, whatever happens, though, if this takeover does indeed happen, then one person who will, who will be uh, worse off will probably be old Stevie Bruce. Because yeah. the, the odds of Max Allegri taking over has have been slashed. I would be surprised if he went there, to be perfectly honest with you. And we know Amanda Staveley loves old Rafa Benitez, so we could see him back if if the takeover happens again. I'd be probably slightly surprised to see that. So poor old Steve Bruce. Did you see that uh, Sam Allardyce came running to Steve Bruce's defence recently? Oh, this is amazing. Yeah, um, Allardyce said, <clears throat> Pete, see if you agree with, uh, with uh, just fact check this for me for a sec, would you? Steve <laughs> is a very, very good Premier League manager of a great high quality, irrespective of what the media might say, and he knows how to put a club in a position and move forward. I mean, my main problem with Steve Bruce is the fact that the media definitely love him. So the media, <laughs> you know, the media are on his side in many ways, I would say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Allardyce said a few more things about his time at Newcastle when Mike Ashley came in and, and Allardyce was sacked and, and so on and so forth. And I, I thought to myself, I wonder why Allardyce is kind of going on and on about this. And then he got to the point. He got to the crux of what he wanted to say by saying, I still don't understand why Rafa Benitez was, see, was deemed to be so good. I just don't understand it because Newcastle played such negative football then. Not now, then. It was unbelievable. But there you yeah. go. Rafa did a great PR job in himself and how he managed that club at the time. <laughs> the, the, the key word is there is, I still don't understand. It's, <laughs> yeah. it's, not, it's, it's not that Rafa Benitez didn't do a good job, is it? It's just that Allardyce has got his head up his arse at all times. <laughs> Didn't Benitez move? Well, he was sacked by Real Madrid, but ultimately his career, he went from Real Madrid to Newcastle. 
and then yeah. and then when and when Newcastle went down, um, he he took he stayed in the championship and took them back up. I mean, that is going to endear you to supporters. <laughs> like, there's no two ways about yeah. it. And Rafa Benitez, the way they finished in the league, the football might not have been scintillating, but but is it now? I, I just he hates that man for some weird reason. Marcus, that that um. That um, athletic article I referred to earlier is actually yeah. interesting in, in that it doesn't explicitly say this, but it alludes to the idea that because Benitez features in it quite a lot mm. and it alludes to the idea that he's not really a what they call a clubbable man where he's not the kind of yeah. Sam Adai, Stevie Bruce, let's all get around and have a beer, yeah, let's have a bit yeah. of banter between us type chap. And I think that older English managers, uh, well, British managers, I suppose, mm-hmm will accept a foreign manager into their thing if they're a bit like that, if they're a bit yes. like them. Mm. But Benitez has never been like that. So I think yeah. that's why he gets on the end of a load of um, a load of criticism from other people in the game of around his age or a bit older, like your Sam Allardyce. Even though Sam Allardyce has in the past played football exactly like Rafa Benitez has played. I don't say he always does it, but he has done it. Um, mm. So it's not shocking to me that he's shown lack of self-awareness there, but that's a little bit of information as to why potentially Benitez isn't as popular among um, a lot of these pundits of that kind of profile. It's just a big boys club, isn't it? (laughs) But there is an element of of that idea that like, you sense an insecurity from Allardyce about that, this whole thing saying, I I don't understand it. This sense that, you know, if someone comes over from, from abroad with their, you know, methodical ideas and they're keeping themselves to themselves and them not treating it all like a big bloody laugh, then there's, there's something to fear, you know, like it's going to change the fabric of the game and of society. (laughs) Shut up, Sam. Well, speaking of older British people spouting off in, uh, in football, have you seen that Paul Pogba retorted, uh, to to Graham Soonis and I love and, this and and Soonis uh, bit back yeah uh, Pogba was asked what he thought of Graham Soonis ongoing comments about him and old Pogba said uh, this comment is slightly confusing he said I didn't even know who Soonis was I heard he was a great player and stuff like that I don't know the face but the name I know so he says he didn't know him but he sort of does know him but okay I think we get the picture that he's not bothered by Graham Soonis in the slightest. But Soonis, did you see this? He had um, he had a sort of a, a you know a video link up with Jamie Carragher and David Jones, and Soonis loved it. He absolutely relished <laughs> these comments when when chatting to them. And Soonis responded with a big grin on his face. I'm happy with it. The oldest thing in football comes to mind. Put your medals on the table, and I've got a big table. See, <laughs> yeah, I, <laughs> I have to say, like, I think this is embarrassing from Soonis. Like, really, really embarrassing. Paul Pogba will be absolutely howling at this. I think that this is another strange thing about football as a career because uh, a lot of the time you get people that when they finish football and they become pundits or whatever, they're still revered for things they did like 30, 40 years ago in some cases. <laughs> and, like, it's, it's irrelevant. I, I just think what Soonis won with Liverpool is irrelevant to Paul Pogba. Why should he care? Like it, just, it just means absolutely nothing to him. I, th- I think you've been. I, I think unfortunately there is something lost in this because of Soonis's reaction. But Soonis, he's he's a bit like you know forerunner to someone like Roy Keane, out and out winner. I'm not doubting how good he was, Marcus. I'm saying how good he was. He's irrelevant in 2020. But I think it is relevant uh, with some of the points Soonis is is making. Soonis is not annoyed with um, Pogba's ability. He's annoyed at the application of the ability, which he's perfectly entitled to be. And if you think about Soonis as the player, which one must when 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 analysing Soonis's comments on this, Tony Evans wrote a piece in The Independent about the time when Liverpool were 
up against, was it Steyr Bucharest? Oh, I forget now, forgive me if that's wrong, but it was certainly a side in, in that part of Europe, which was, you know, in those days, very far away and um, uh, and not many people knew about um, the players that were coming from from certain countries and so on. Lack of media, blah blah blah. And soon as this one of the one of the Stoyer players was chipping away and actually like almost sort of punching some of the Liverpool players behind the referee's back. So soon as chinned him, and I think might have done some, quite a bit of damage. So in the second leg, when they go away to Romania or wherever it was, soon as turns up, the whole town is waiting for Sunis, booing him, chucking stuff at him, going mental. The player said Sunis absolutely loved it. Rose to the occasion, didn't str- didn't shrink, played well, uh, and, and Liverpool won. You know, that's the type of man he is. And and he applied his talent to the absolute maximum. He was he was an iron fist in a velvet glove, was old Sunis when he played. And he sees someone like Paul Pogba now, in his opinion, not making the most of his talent, not taking it seriously, blah, 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 blah. And and he just cannot fathom that. He thinks you're such a good player, blah, 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 blah. I understand it is a bit embarrassing. I understand he, he's, he's far too deep in now. But I think the 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 core sort of point that he's trying to make is valid. I think this is it. You hit the nail on the head there, Marcus, saying he's far too deep in now. He's made it really personal, hasn't he? Yeah, so it's got a gremlin ahead. Sounds like an old man shouting at <laughs> a cloud. Like, it's just, it's, yeah, full gremlin ahead. Absolutely, yeah. What is it with Graham's lately? On, on that, though, just, just to jump in, like on, on the Sooness side of it, um, he's got, I mean, we, we talked about it, didn't we? I think it might be earlier this season. I don't know, perhaps it was the back end of last season about how Graham needs to understand how it looks for an older white guy to continually criticize a younger Mm. black guy and to perhaps be perceived to hold that younger black guy up to a stand that he wouldn't hold other players up to and what that looks like. And we talked about that. And, Mm. but aside from that, I, I, I think that the, the thing with Sunes, and he's got a fantastic reputation, by the way, in, in the industry, hasn't he? People think he's a mm. lovely fellow. He's always really mm. nice, very respectful. Marcus, I know you've had interactions with him before and found yeah. him and found it to be to be positive. Um, so I'm not, no one's suggesting that he's, you know, he's a he's a terrible human being or whatever. But ultimately, at his essence, he's a competitor, isn't he? Yeah. So he he the one thing that does, I think, dog players of great quality many, many years ago is that they can never quite replicate what that was like as a player. And they and they and they treat the job they do, whether it be punditry or, you know, running the post office as we talked about last week or whatever, they probably want to be the best they can at it and they want to be right amongst it. And I think this is probably a vehicle for Graham to replicate this competition that he had as a player. Um, and that's why he's loving it. So when Marcus, when you said, I mean, I saw the video as well. When you said, oh, when he's told about that, he loves it. Of course yeah. he loves it because it's all a sparring competition for him. It's all <laughs> it's all about getting one over on someone else and he can't do that as a player now. So he's doing it by talking about his medals. I mean, what could happen, of course, Graham Smith was a brilliant player. He won everything in the game at club level. Let's not forget that. But what could happen, of course, is Graham could put all his medals on the table and then Paul Pogba could just smash the table with a World Cup trophy and then we could all just agree to call the whole thing off. And he would also dab. <laughs> Yeah, he would. He would what, great. Dab, I don't think so. Like his life depended on it. <laughs> oh dear. Well, gentlemen. Speaking of medals, uh, today uh, we're told that there's going to be a meeting of of all the Premier League clubs to try and make further progress on what to do for the rest of the season. And there's chat that the season could be finished by 30th of June with player contracts in mind. Although some suggest that as long as the season is underway before. 30th of June, then players could be given short-term extensions or decide to drop out 
um, after their contract ex- expires. Uh, Luke, are we going to see? Are we going to see medals at the end of the season? Do you reckon? Uh, again, I don't think anyone really knows, and I think it's painfully unfair that you've asked me that. No, I'm joking. Um, <laughs> I, 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 the, the meeting, is, as, as we understand, is happening right now, so um, we'll, we'll give a bit of coverage on that on on Monday. Um, we'll get a long run up at it, find out what all the informed people are saying, and then kind of use their opinions as our own. Um, uh, but at the moment, we don't know what's going on. The, the key thing is, though, I think that there's a lot of concern among clubs in the Premier League that as things stand, they really want to finish the season by the 30th of June because of, of the issues you've mentioned, Marcus, of player contract. David Ornstein was talking a while back, might have been earlier this week, about this idea that certain um, t- groups of players at certain top clubs have not been able to agree a wage cut or a wage deferral and it's looking like they might each have to discuss um, their wage situation individually with the club through their agents which of course is going to take absolutely oh. ages. Now there are some clubs that have, have sorted it already and that have agreed in principle deferrals or whatever it may be but some clubs haven't. This is an admin nightmare for everyone concerned and a lot of these questions need to be answered before um, they can work out what they're going to do with the season. And, and as we keep saying, because it really is, this really is the case, this is completely unprecedented and people mm-hmm. are trying to come up with creative solutions to work it out in a way that suits everyone. But they're not going to be able to suit everyone. I mean, you're probably going to come on in a minute, Marcus, to talk about what's happened in Scotland. That doesn't suit everyone, you know, because because there's no solution that does. I mean, Pete, what what is your, Pete, what would you like to see happen now with, with the season? Would you like to see it, sort of finish as soon as possible or do you think there's another way to, to go about it? I don't see there any way of um, <clears throat> making any concrete decisions uh, even today. What are we, 15th, 16th of um 17th of today, I think. 17th yeah. of April. I'm such I'm such a yesterday's guy. Um, <laughs> but I think I'm I think I mentioned WhatsApp you yesterday. I, I genuinely think the best cost of action would be um, take from August until, you know, next April to finish all of the fixtures that need to be finished behind closed doors or however they decide to do it. Uh, just completely, uh, let's say, furlough or just cancel uh, the 2021 season uh, and then figure out, because no doubt if there's no vaccine found, there is going to be a, a resurgence of COVID-19 uh, in, in sort of December, January time all around the world and we'll be in the same situation. So I think they should just use uh, the, the the rest of uh, next season uh, to finish all of the fixtures they've already uh, got to get rid of, get rid of next season uh, and we start start again uh with the with the euros as planned um that's my idea i don't think anyone's going to go for it but i think to to make any decision now when we haven't flattened our own curve or we haven't even got together all of our statistics wherever we are uh i think is is churlish and and and, and, and silly quite frankly just to come back on that very quickly, if I may, um, we talked about this on, on the continent as well. You've got people, you've got um, Tebas in Spain and you've got the authorities and football authorities in Germany and France trying to work out what's best to do. But all at the same time, even if they're not saying it explicitly, they know they're completely at the mercy of what the wider authorities in the country want to do. So, for example, if you see in Germany, they start training again in groups of two or five and they do it in a way that follows all the hygiene regulations. They're not using the dress rooms, they're not using the showers, but they are training. And then what happens? Well, the German authorities come out and say, well, no mass gatherings are going to be possible now till August the 30. 30th or something at the earliest mm. or August the 31st at the earliest which completely undermines what they're trying to do that means that means they have to then adjust again to work out whether they can play the games 
um, behind closed doors and what constitutes a large gathering, et cetera, et cetera. And what I think what Pete's alluding to there, which is what I agree with, is that the f- football, like any other industry, is at the mercy of this virus, at the mercy of what governmental authorities want to do at the very top level, and it can't operate outside of that. And I think that's been hard for football because football is used to kind of doing what it wants, and it can't. Mm. So um, until all those questions that Pete's mentioned have been answered, very, very difficult to see what 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 constitutes a solution here. And 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 very quickly, finally, in Portugal. I believe players' contracts roll on naturally as as is unless something changes, even if they expire. I don't know if they can explore that in this country as well or whether that can become an EU thing or whatever because ultimately there's no benefit really to a player whose contract is out on June the 30th leaving because he doesn't know when he's going to be playing next anyway, right? He could probably sign mm. a new contract somewhere else, but it doesn't know. He can't go there or do anything really. So it's very, very difficult to see how they would move on in practical terms anyway. I don't think there's going to be any football played uh, not behind closed doors before the end of this year. I just I just think it's the most sensible thing to do. And let's not forget, if you want people to stay at home, keep them in their homes by letting them watch a bit of football on the telly. You know, <laughs> this could be uh, quite important in, in, in the yeah, healing process of actually making sure that people stay at home. Well, north of the border, they've got their house in order. Bye. <laughs> or have they? Um, <laughs> Dundee eventually voted yes to an SPFL resolution, meaning the Scottish Championship, League One and League Two will finish for the season. Dundee United have been declared champions of the championship. Well deserved. Well done, them. They were 14 <laughs> points clear of Inverness Cali uh, with eight matches to go. So it's not too controversial, but still. Uh, they won't be dancing in the streets of Dundee because they're not allowed to. Uh, Wraith Rovers are champions of League <laughs> One. Cove Rangers have been crowned champions of League Two. Partick Thistle will be relegated from the Championship. Stranra are, are demoted from, from League One. Sorry to hear that, Stranra fans. Uh, lots of clubs in Scotland, they wanted a resolution uh, because they were worried about going under financially if things weren't settled. Um, the SPFL will look into the idea of expanding the Scottish Premiership for the 2020-2021 season from 12 teams to 14 teams. I love this. Hearts Chief Anne Budge will, will lead the chat on that. I'm sure she'll be keen to expand the league, so Hearts avoid relegation. And the Budge won't budge on that. Um, and Stephen Gerrard said this whole situation is a complete mess. Jim, <laughs> what's going on up there? <laughs> well, uh, all kinds of stuff. And at the same time, absolutely nothing, it would seem. Um, I'm delighted that Anne Budge is involved. You can't say it's nothing. They've made a decision, Jim. They've made a decision. People have been crowned champions and they've been relegated. You cannot say they've done nothing, Jim. That's disrespectful to the Scottish yeah, League. Yeah, nothing is, nothing has happened, though, is it? Everyone's, everyone's sat at home. We're all sat at home. I have to say, I'm delighted to hear that Hearts Chief is called Anne Budge. It's just, it's just a great name, isn't it? It's just a mm. good combination of words. I, I quite like the idea of expansion. Um, Jamie O'Hara suggested the Premier League should expand to let in Leeds and, and whoever else. And although nice it's problem. a little bit daft in a lead, league the size of the Premier League, I think it's quite fun. But I think in Scotland, that's actually quite a good solution because you know there are fewer teams in in, in the league. So I, I I think that would probably be something that comes with its own complications. But I think it would possibly be the fairest um, the fairest way to do it. On poor old hearts. I know you would probably agree me on, agree with me on that, Marcus. The Corby <laughs> boys stand exactly where they are. <laughs> I, uh, I I think it goes back to the earlier points. Whatever is decided will not keep everybody happy. Yeah, and I think Rangers are very uh, concerned that Celtic will be given their ninth uh, league title in a row. Although, to be honest with you, if if I was in the Rangers camp, I might think to myself. 
Celtic are going to win it anyway. So it's probably better mm. this way. So we can always go, ah, well, you were given that one. You didn't earn it. <laughs> but is, is there an issue here? that Because, um, that, I mean, just to go back on to Pete's um, s- suggested solution, uh, read, read the Premier League earlier, and not, not saying it's a bad solution. Obviously, there's nothing perfect here. But one of the reasons that Scotland have done this, as far as I understand it, is because a lot of the clubs in the lower divisions really rely on this prize money, right? They need this, mm. this money to, 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 to come to the club to help shore up the coffers. And so I think it throws into focus the problem perhaps with Pete's idea, which is just that it's very difficult to know how these um, clubs are going to survive if we, if we extend season out across two seasons, which is something that I was talking about weeks ago because the Italian head of the Italian FA suggested it. But then you've got situations like this where Scottish clubs need the money. They need the prize money. They can't wait. They can't wait till August or September mm. to finish the competition because they're not going to be able to survive. And then you've got places in France where in France, the broadcaster is withdrawing the final tranche of broadcasting money because there's no football being played. So it's really difficult to understand how they could have done anything else if the clubs are going to them, knocking their door down saying, look, we need a, a conclusion to this because we need the money that's due to us. So it's really, really tough. And I think expansion into the top division could be interesting chiefly because it it kind of limits people being punished for something that really is no fault of their own now i know you can say with hearts where they've been absolute dog shit all season and you could probably say with norwich norwich will probably be relegated if things carried on as they were but the fact is they haven't been so Mm. can we think of a way of limiting what would be construed as unfair punishments for clubs yet rewarding other teams I don't know know the answer to that but maybe we'll have to well perhaps Luke we will come up with the solution in the break see you in a moment everybody planning for your next trip elevate your travel style with Quince Quince has all the jet setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway like European linen premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. This episode of the Football Ramble is sponsored by BetterHelp. Life throws many different challenges at us, and as a result, we all have our own sources of stress. Whether big or small, those stresses can impact our lives in unpredictable ways, and if we don't address them, they can have an outsized and unwanted impact. 
Therapy is a safe place in which we can address these issues, learn to understand them and find ways to work through them. Having therapy can be beneficial to anybody, not just people who've experienced major traumas, even if you may have not considered it before. It could be simply a time for you to get things off your chest, a way to learn positive coping skills or how to set boundaries. Ultimately, it can be whatever you need it to be. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's designed to be convenient, flexible and suited to your schedule. All you have to do is fill out a brief questionnaire and BetterHelp will match you to a licensed therapist. You can even switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Get it off your chest with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com forward slash ramble today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com forward slash ramble. Welcome back to the preview show on Football Ramble Daily, sponsored by Betway. Luke, what's going on over at the Patreon? Yeah, patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. Very exciting scenes as in teams of three, we decided upon our best Premier League 11 of the 21st century. Uh, It was controversial. It was in some ways quite difficult trying to get any selection past Pete Donaldson. Um, but we got there in the end um, and uh, it was very, very enjoyable. So that those two episodes are only available to Patreon subscribers. You can become a Patreon subscriber for as little as $5 a month. Get yourself over there, patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. As I was saying on social media earlier this week, there have been seven pieces of extra content alone this month on the Patreon. So if you're stuck for something to do or you want to listen to something when you're out on the run or going for a walk or pottering around the garden, whatever, go to patreon.com forward slash football ramble daily. There's plenty of extra content there. Lovely old job. And now it's time for emails with PDD. You email show at footballramble.com And now PDD's reading it out. Well done. It is time for emails with PED. Hello to Liam on the emails. Cheers for Ollie Entertainment during the lockdown. He says, was it ever in doubt? Uh, he's uh, appended a link. I click on the link. Galatasaray head coach has beaten coronavirus. Fighterum, of course. Of course he has. Because uh, uh, oh. he is clearly unbeatable. When it because he beats that. people up in kebab shops. Exactly. Uh, Daniel Blitmore says, uh, greetings once again, gents. You may remember you read out my email a few years back when I utilised the Makaleli role to uh, potty train my boy. Well, gentlemen <laughs> in the ramble, I have an update for you and you may remember uh, from my email that part of the reason that we were in a rush to potty train the boy was that my wife was pregnant with twins and we wanted it done and dusted before the chaos ensued. The twins are now two and a half and considering I'm in lockdown and have some time to play with, uh, this seemed like an opportune time to employ my Makaleli-esque sniffing out of danger and lightning quicker reactions to potty train them both. <laughs> Boy, did I underestimate this game. Currently, I feel like Michael Carrick in the Champions League final, hopelessly trying to lay a glove on Iniesta and Xavi uh, and being made to look distinctly average. I get mm. touched tight to twin one, I look around and twin two is pissing on the sofa. I switch my attention to twin two, get myself in a good position between him and the leather footstool and twin one has curled one out in his pants and then sat on the carpeted bottom step. My wife and I can't go two on two as she's busy doing schoolwork with the older two. I can't sub into some extra personnel to bolster the midfield, for example, one of the in-laws, because we're in lockdown. I am 
damn in the words of Marcus Speller getting gubbed at this moment in time. If we view today as half time and I'm currently in the changing rooms, head in hands, shocked at the beating I have taken in the first half, I'm looking at how I am uh, going to turn the tide in the second half. My option is to take one of them out, not with a flying footer, but by putting one of them in nappies until I have better control of the game. Although this seems workable, this could lead to a long second half. The other option is to, uh, in effect, retreat, wave a white, big white flag and concentrate on a better performance next season. Either way, the game's not going how I wanted. I'll update you in a few days, all week, all months. Who knows? Dan Blakemore, excellently uh, written email. Thank you very much for getting <laughs> Email of the year for me. Well yeah. played, sir. Oh, dear. I hope this is some sort of comfort to your ordeal. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. Uh, and also, Jack Durrant uh, wants us to introduce, uh, you know, like wrestlers uh, come on, come into the mm. ring to their own uh, music. Uh, they think that uh, yeah. the, the pop of a uh, footballer's entrance music uh, would be fantastic once football returns uh, to, to, to really zhuzh up uh, the mm. uh, match day experience, especially if we're in a situation where there's no uh, crowd in the actual uh, arena. Um, why not have individual footballers' entrance music? I'm more than up for that. We should figure yeah, out Yeah, particularly if they're a substitute. That'd be brilliant. <laughs> if they're a oh. sub, you don't know who's coming on because you can't get quite see the board um, or whatever, yeah. or the, the camera doesn't show it. Play yeah. the music. And I think yeah. I would add the added um, caveat as well that they all have to record their music themselves. <laughs> right, okay. imagine imagine the pop though if it's a big big player coming back from injury in like a derby or something being retirement oh, yeah who's coming on today is gonna be the day it's, it's Leighton Baines Leighton Baines is coming on Bainesy <laughs> or Crouchy uh, that is the end of the emails we want to get in touch with the show shortfootballrambledaily.com lovely old job and now ladies and gentlemen it's time for time tunnel ooh Yes, ladies and gentlemen, I chose this week's time tunnel. I'm going to take you all back to the end of October 2012. This Ramble episode was called A Literal Mickey Mouse Club. And that title mm-hmm. came from somebody uh, emailing in a story being told uh, they, where they were at Disneyland. <clears throat> and uh, they were staying at uh, the hotel on site. And during mealtimes, Mickey Mouse would often interrupt Din Din's, much to the excitement of the children. And one evening, uh, Mickey said that he had a famous friend with him, and they were thinking, oh, blimey, this could be quite something, It'd be sort of a Hollywood A-lister or something like that. And the famous friend, it turned out to be, was ex-Crystal Palace midfielder Simon Roger, much to the disappointment of lots of American <laughs> children. I'll be honest with you, I had to look up Simon Roger as well. I feel that's very harsh on Simon Rogers. He's been stitched up by Mickey Mouse there. No, so I think he needs to have a bit more respect. He was there for 11 seasons. Absolute stalwart of the club. Yeah, I know. It's an absolute disgrace. Marcus, can I just give you credit um, for this Time Tunnel episode? So this is from 2012, isn't it? Yes. And back in the day, we were a lot more lax when it came to things like, you know, your your normal work things like writing a synopsis. And when... And when I did my uh, last episode for Time Tunnel, I thought, I'm not doing an episode that hasn't got a synopsis because that's just ridiculous. But this one doesn't actually have one. It just says, no. it's ramble time again. Strap yourselves in. <laughs> so lazy. There you go. It was. Well, we, we, I think we began the podcast by talking about a, the, the recent Merseyside derby where Everton came back from 2-0 down. But the big story was Luis Suarez. He scored the second. The first goal 
was given, I think, as an own goal, although he would claim it understandably so. And when he celebrated, he he ran and did. And when I say a dive, I don't mean a dive like a Jurgen Klinsmann dive. I mean like a sort of a, is it called the like the dead fish celebration on FIFA? We sort of yeah. run and you jump with your hands down by your side and land on your sort of side of your shoulder. And he did that in front of the opposition bench. And David Moyes got up and, and walked out and has said a few choice words because he was being accused, Suarez, as being a diver. And Moyes' daughter said that after the game that she was surprised her dad didn't punch him in the face. Oh, I remember that. Where did that come from? <laughs> well, it makes sense, doesn't it, given you know what we've heard David Moyes say to uh, female journalists um, that he's you know he's, <laughs> he doesn't mind threatening people, giving them with a, with a little bit of a slap. So perhaps that's a, that was a little peek behind the Moyes curtain before uh, uh, before we were aware of that sort of thing. It's, uh, we spoke about Luis Suarez quite a bit in that show as well, and uh, we were talking about various kind of aspects of his game shall we say and I think in this game as well he might have raked his studs down um, Sylvan Distan's leg like on the sly and gotten away with it and you kind of forget that he used to do those nasty little things as well, well the whole thing the whole thing um, it was a great Merseyside dub it was also a great game between Chelsea and Manchester United at Stamford Bridge which Manchester United won 3-2 and Chelsea had two men sent off yeah crazy yeah there's a um, there's a situation where Torres. Um, I, I, this is the thing. So in that game, and this is not the game at Stamford Bridge between Chelsea and Man United, where the guy was spotted brushing his teeth behind the bench. Oh. That was 2009. This was 2012, as we've already said. This show came out 30th. I think I think 30th of October 2012. Um, but Torres gets sent off for two yellows, and the second one is a dive, and it was a dive. Oh, um, it was a slight bit of contact. Yeah, but I still think it, for me, rude, for me, Clive, it was still a dive. But anyway, completely irrespective of that, the first yellow he gets is a dictionary definition read by any stretch of the imagination. He basically sticks his studs into a Man United player's chest at yeah. full pelt. There's no way you should have stayed on the pitch for that anyway. So it was very lucky to be on the pitch in the first place. Yeah, very much so, yeah. Uh, elsewhere in the Premier League that weekend, Manchester City beat Swansea 1-0, which was, I don't know if that still is, but it was, certainly was at the time, the longest match in Premier League history. 102 minutes, 12 minutes added on. I can't remember why, but who cares? And Arsenal beat QPR 1-0 with a controversial goal, because he was definitely offside, from Mikel Arteta, Jim, the man who's currently yeah. in charge. It feels, obviously, Mikel Arteta uh, is a very young manager and is, is, is defined by his youth in his current role. And also, he's not aged even a moment um, <laughs> since since this time. But it does feel weird to hear a story about the manager scoring a winner fairly recently, within the lifetime of our podcast, <laughs> even. It was a goal that would live long in the memory as well, Jim. As he, he sort of bundled it in from a yard from a ridiculously offside position. Love it. Mm, deep in injury time. Yeah. Well, <laughs> Pre-VAR, the tyranny of VAR, which I was always <laughs> against. Yeah. Um, Emmanuel Abue, ex-Arsenal, of course, uh, around this time, tweeted this from his, his account. Time to sleep. Hey, Chelsea fans, speak to me when you get your heads out of Terry's dirty ass. Your heads must be so <laughs> full of shit now. <laughs> I, can't, I can't believe I've forgotten this. Jim, that's amazing because that fits into that. You guys will love, you guys know what I mean. That fits perfectly into the bracket of um, people speaking English as a second language and having no yeah. idea about the weight of the swear words they're using. Yes. So yes. he's using it in a really fun, friendly way, but it actually sounds quite harsh. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Your heads must be full of so much shit now. <laughs> yeah. Theory me. Also, Marcus, in that. Um, sorry, just just going to say very quickly. In that. In that. Um, 
in that uh, episode, we covered Lionel Messi scoring his 300th career goal. Mm. Um, and I just wanted to point out that um, it's sad to see how much he's taken his foot off the gas since then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it was eight years ago. So in his first seven seasons, he scored 300 goals or whatever. He's now got 638. Which <laughs> 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 is just absolutely bad, unreal. Well, speaking of goal scoring, there was a little English lad, well, a big English lad down under, scoring the goals around that time as well. Emil Heskey playing for a Newcastle Jets. He, he scored a couple against Melbourne Victory. And this was at a time when there was a thing called Heskey Cam, where uh, you press the red button and you could track Emil's movements. I this is, this is so exciting. It's so endearing, chiefly because they're so excited that Emil Heskey's there yeah. that they've put a Heskey Cam on him, which people were watching. And then, in response, as to you know, in a way to kind of pay them back, Heskey scores an overhead kick on Heskey Cam. <laughs> it's amazing. It's Has great. anyone checked that Heskey Cam was ever turned off? We could maybe <laughs> What's he doing now? still tune into it now and see what he's Just up doing to in the isolation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there we are. So that was that was Time Tunnel uh, for, for this week, ladies and gentlemen. And now it's time for the Masked Winger. Who's under there, under the mask? Let's see if we can figure it out. Who's under there? Under the mask. Let's see if we can figure it out. It's the Masked Winger. It is time for the Masked Winger slash uh, Goy for Glold slash Jermaine's Jigsaw. Uh, just enjoy it, guys. Just, <laughs> JJ's just Jigsaw. It. JJ's Jigsaw. Thank you very much to uh, Thomas Cluett, which is a fantastic second name uh, for what is a mystery football <laughs> game, I guess. Very enjoyable. Uh, first clue, lads, get ready. I need your name. But more importantly, I need the name of the player. I was born on the 18th of May, 1978. My clubs include Real Madrid, Monaco and Shanghai SIPG. Marcus, Fernando Morientes. It's not Fernando Morientes. Oh, oh, I thought he had it then. Great I really shout, thought Marcus. Yeah. <laughs> I Jim. have 18... Fernando Hierro. No, it isn't. I have 89 caps in my country, scoring five goals. Marcus Miguel Salgado It's not Carry on Oh, are we going? <laughs> You're not going to have that? Okay I didn't uh, say the name I have won the Premier League La Liga and UEFA European Championship Marcus <laughs> Gabriel Heinzer it's not Gabriel Heinzer. Oh, God, these are some great guesses from you, Spelman. Mm. <laughs> I was signed by Chelsea for the fee of £27 million. Luke. Uh, Claude Makalele. It's not Claude Makalele, no. Marcus. I forget, uh, I forget his first name. It could be Alfonso. Oh, I think Del I know Horno? it. I think I know it. Del Horno? Not Del Horno, no. Oh, yeah. Luke. 
Oh, I can't. I've got to wait for the next clue. Haven't no, you've got to wait for me to begin. You have to wait for me to begin the next clue. I was yeah. named in UEFA's Luke. team. Is it Michael Essien? It's not Michael Essien, no. Oh. I was uh, signed by Chelsea for the fee of 27 million. I was named in UEFA's team of the year in 2004. Jim. 2004. See, um, Carvalho. Oh, I think it is. It is Ricardo Carvalho. Yeah. Yes. 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 Well played, Jim. Yes. Jimmy. It's the first well, one for Jim. a while, big man, isn't it? It is, yeah, yeah. it is. I needed that. I felt yeah. like that was a that was a towering header from a corner, and, and like <laughs> a, a, a wave of relief has just overtaken me. Yeah. Good for you. Well played. When when Rooney was, of course, the last clue about him stamping on me. <laughs> <laughs> on Thank ball. you very much, Tom, for that. Great. Cheers, well, Tom. Well done, well done Tomo. Well done, Cluzy. Well, there we are. Ladies and gentlemen, that is the end of today's preview show. A little reminder that we shall be watching the Arsenal Stadium Mystery for Pete's Film Club. Oh, on God, I forgot about that. Yeah, no, it should be a good one. It's a should good it? film. <laughs> it will be a lot better than the last one, ladies and gentlemen, yeah. no matter what mm. it's like. Um, there we are. Thank you very much, Luke. Thank you. Thank you very much, Jimmy. Cheers. Thank you very much, Petey. Thank you, bye. And it's goodbye from me. This was a Stakhanov production. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.